In today's highly competitive mortgage industry, building profitable relationships with real estate agents is essential for success. However, finding effective ways to secure agent relationships can be a challenge. With so many mortgage loan originators vying for the attention of real estate agents, it can be difficult to stand out and establish meaningful connections. Our new case study featuring loan officer Chris Coghill is a must read. Chris has closed a remarkable 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals. And in this case study, he shares his proven strategies for building strong relationships with real estate agents and leveraging those relationships to drive more business. To get your hands on this resource, head over to locastudy.com and download your free copy of the case study today. You'll find actionable insights and practical tips that Chris used to close 36 million in funded loans from agent referrals and how you can too. Don't miss out. Go check it out right now. Visit locastudy.com and download your free copy today. Hey, listeners, what's up? Jeff Zimfer, your host for another edition of Mortgage Marketing Radio. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I want to say thank you for coming back. I want to say thank you if you've left me a review. And by the way, if you're inclined and you haven't yet left me a review, I would love it. You can leave a review wherever you're listening to this on whatever podcasting app you're at, or you want to go over to their Facebook page, um, you know, Mortgage Marketing Institute on Facebook, or heck, even send me an email if you ever want to reach out and connect. It's podcast at mortgagemarketingradio.com, or just hit me up on Facebook, Instant Messenger. And I do respond to all emails, all messages and outreaches, unless you're some kind of wacko or whatever that's asking for my bank account number because you have a rich uncle in Nigeria that needs my information. So... Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, so here we are, another episode. And listen, by now, you know that I'm a big believer in leading with education, an educational platform. Everyone's talking about differentiation. Everyone's talking about value proposition. A lot of people talk, talk, talk about it. What are you doing about it? How do you actually implement that in the real world on a daily basis? There's lots of different ways to do that. Uh, I'm going to tell you about one particular way that I'm a fan of. Why? Well, yes, it's because of one of the things we provide here for uh, Mortgage Marketing Institute, and that is our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership. What is it? It's an online turnkey library of Zoom ready to go templated classes that you teach to real estate agents virtually over Zoom. Hey, when COVID goes away and you can get back face-to-face in-person meetings, you'll do it that method as well. But for now, we are working with loan officers to help them never make a cold call again build their agent awareness, build their influence amongst real estate agents, attract agents instead of chase agents, and put them through a process of structured, formatted classes and content that drive engagements, conversations, relationships, and referrals with you and real estate agents. We've got it all done for you. Over 17 classes, turnkey, ready to go. The flyers, the speaker notes, the PowerPoints, the recording tutorials of me actually delivering a presentation so you can just copy it from there. Want to learn more? Go to mortgagemarketing.pro. All right. Next up, my special guest for this episode. This episode, I had a blast. I just finished recording it. And it's not my usual episode uh, because we talk about a lot of different things. But I I thought it was one of the best candid, kind of authentic, real conversations that I've had in a long time. Um, My interview is with Dan Roch. And uh, Dan has been in this mortgage financial space for many, many years. You may know him as the guy who does the mortgage rate updates and rate watch through Mortgage Coach. And so I've been following Dan for a number of years. My buddy Dave Savage, a mortgage coach, said, hey, you should interview Dan. Boom, here we are. We did. And 
it was an amazing conversation. And if you don't know Dan's background, he was a bond trader at Bear Stearns in the 80s. He was the founder of Datafax, the fourth largest mortgage credit reporting firm in the nation that was sold to TransUnion. He's the founder of RPM Mortgage. Right? He's the CEO of Finet, a NASDAQ traded company, which at one point reached a billion dollars in marketed cap. As I said, he's been the host of Rate Watch since 2008, right? And what Rate Watch is, if you don't know, it provides economic and technical analysis on the bond market. It goes on and on and on. He's got a newsletter. He's got a platform called University of Options, which is learning how to trade options the right way. And the best part of all of this is, is all the success that Dan's got. Still humble, great guy, right? The guy you'd want to sit down and have a beer with, a coffee, whatever it is, and is completely transparent, authentic, and willing to share everything he possibly can. So we talk about what's the future of interest rates. We talk about the mortgage market, the stock market, right? What the future looks like for inflation versus deflation. And we talk about Fannie, Freddie, all kinds of cool stuff. I just hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And if you want to connect with Dan more, we're going to put links to it in the show notes. Uh, the main place to connect with Dan right now is universityofoptions.com. If you're hearing this and you're like, oh, I want to learn how to trade options better, that's the place to go. I don't get nothing for that. I'm just, I like to bring people, good people to, you know, bring awareness to good people that are doing good things. So if that's for you, go check it out. So without further ado, let's get into this week's show. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited. Awesome, man. Appreciate you making time from your remote, undisclosed location. Uh, and hopefully the uh, internet holds up for us. So listen, I know you obviously from Dave Savage, Mortgage Coach. You've been providing kind of rate watch updates and stuff for years. You're clearly intelligent, informed, and you've been in this space for a long time. So for those that may not know who Dan Rawich is, give us the, the brief bio. Who are you? What are you all about? Um, so I'm old. I'm, I'm, I'm 61 years old. Um, three kids, all grown. Youngest is 21. Uh, four grandkids. And uh, we travel extensively. Um, and, you know, my, my passion is, uh, is just really digging down and understanding the financial markets, uh, the economy. It's always been my passion since, since college. Always been a student of the economy. Well, I, I, I understand what you say. You hate that and get, you know, don't like being put on the spot. So let me give you the, the brief resume and I'd be, I'll be leaving a couple things off. But you were a bond trader for Bear Stearns in the 80s. That must have been fun. Some stories there. Uh, founder of Datafax, the fourth largest yes. mortgage credit firm in the nation, sold to TransUnion. Founder of RPM Mortgage, sold to Finet Holdings. CEO of Finet, a NASDAQ traded company, which reached a billion dollar market cap, host of Rate Watch, as we said, since 2008. And uh, you still have your podcast, Avoiding the Storm? I'm not as good as you are recording my podcast. I more or less replaced it, Jeff, with my newsletter called Swampanomics. Okay, Swampanomics. And where would I find that if I wanted to subscribe to your newsletter? Uh, on my website at universityofoptions.com. Cool. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. We'll also talk about some of the other things you're doing there. But let's face it, um, the audience is primarily made up of mortgage professionals, some real estate professionals. Um, you know, we're here coming into an election time of year. It's, I mean, dude, did you see this coming at all in 2020 with housing and interest rates? I did. Um, you know, and I'm excited to say that, because that, that, it's easy to say that, but, you know, everything <laughs> I say is recorded and it's yeah, out right. there. So um, last year, actually in 2018, I gave a talk and I said that 2020 and 2021 would be the best years the industry had ever seen. And I think that that carries into 2022. 
And then I, again, I don't mean to sound like a know-it-all. Um, I also said that I thought the economy would get into severe trouble. This was before the pandemic mm. and that the stock market would crash. But I said, I don't even understand why I'm saying this back then. Housing mark, the housing market will dodge the economic bullet. And that's never happened. Housing has always led us into recession and out of recession. But the pent-up demand was so extreme and inventory was so low and the millennials were getting of age to buy homes and us old guys were downsizing. <laughs> and it, it just made sense to me that housing was going to really be on fire. Okay. And so you mentioned this looks positive into 2021 and even 22. Now it's interesting because uh, David Stevens just came out with an article. I haven't read it yet. I don't know if you saw that. About, I read it. Yeah. So I have it, mixed yeah. opinions. So good. So by the way, for those that don't know, what it basically said is he's foreseeing a uptick in rates in, in 2021, right? Right. So why so, do you feel different? Yeah. So first of all, I want to say, um, uh, you know, I've met him. I don't know Dave, but I would say that he's a class act. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, 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 so anything that I say is not, not con controversy toward Dave. It's just, I think he missed some really important things. Um, so first of all, what I agreed with, and I'm going by memory, there were five things. What I agreed with was um, the, the, the 50 basis point uh, uh, toll that the agency suddenly dropped on us. Mm -hmm. That's fact. That's going to affect rates a little bit. Um, the uh, Fannie and Freddie being freed from conservatorship and becoming, you know, standalone public companies, they're going to have to do more to make more. And so that will raise the guarantee fees probably. Well, hold on. Do you, do you even think that that's going to happen? <laughs> I think it's going to eventually happen. I, I don't see it happening in the next 12 months. Well, that, so, so conversations, just to take a pause, uh, conversations I've had with other people around that before um, about them becoming public companies means that is going to impact interest rates as well. Yes, because they'll, be like free enterprise capitalists and they'll probably try to raise the guarantee fees. Um, and you know, that'll, it'll be interesting to watch. And I, I think that the reason I think that the government better be real careful about letting go of them is you've got Fannie and Freddie competing with one another and there's nobody else. I mean, you could say FHA, but it's a different animal. And so you've got these two guys, it's almost like a cartel in some ways uh, I'm sure they don't call each other and say, hey, I'm going to raise it. Are you going to raise? But that's exactly what happens. Uh, if Fannie Mae raises 10 bips, Freddie Mac raises 10 bips, and they'll just say they're market adjustments. So you could see these two just taking taking things up too much. Mm. Um, and so there's going to have to be some controls in place. Yeah, and then how does that go to, you know, the great, the, like the – uh, affordable housing for everybody and to the sense they're really a quasi public slash government entity right now. And there's a lot of benefits that can come from that. And then they become about pure profit. Well, does that then reduce, you know, the uh, creative, you know, the lending, the lending possibilities for those that might otherwise not qualify under normal situation? I don't know if that makes sense. It doesn't to me. So I'm just going to edit that out. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I mean, I but go ahead. Get that thing the hell out of here. What did I just say? I have no idea. Take it from there. You boom. Is this a good thing for consumers ultimately for them to be private or public or what? All right. I, no. I, I, how could it be good for consumers? The only the only win here for the consumer, in my opinion, 
if I mean, if you have no governmental control at all over two capitalistic companies, you know, trying to please their shareholders, mm. uh, fat in the CEO's pockets. I yeah. mean, it doesn't, it doesn't end well, but unless you take a penny Mac or somebody like that, that's got massive size uh, and may, who knows, maybe uh, UWM going public. I, I saw your podcast on that. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it would take such an amazing amount of capital, but somebody like that is going to have to be able to go to the capital markets with that kind of size and at least be a threat to Fannie and Freddie. Instead of a customer, they got to be a competitor. That's how we're going to keep rates down. Let me ask you a but question. That's exactly. Yeah. Uh, and this make me maybe sound like uh, I'm, not, I'm a, you know, I don't understand it, but here it is the end of a long week and it's the afternoon. And, you know, um, why, why do they exist in the first place, Fannie and Freddie? So they came into play um, going off memory, but I believe it was in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, banks were lending too much of their capital out. And, and so the, the, and the back then they were savings and loans. And that was pretty much the only way to get, to get money. And uh, as rates started going up, the savings and loans would just kept raising rates and consumers didn't have access to capital. So that's really, they, they, were, they were born, I feel, I feel ignorant here because I used to be able to tell you the president and the time and all that stuff. But, but they were created specifically for as consumer advocates to make sure that consumer always had capital to, to purchase homes. Interesting, and which kind of goes to what I was alluding to earlier. So if we take that away as these consumer advocates, then it becomes put the hands in the, of the companies that are only there purely for profit. Yeah, and I got to admit, Jeff, I, I hadn't thought that through as much as I, you just made me think it through because I was just thinking what I said, you know, I, maybe 20 to 30 basis points will get added on to price just to fat in their pockets a little bit. Who cares? 20, 30 basis points is not going to be felt in rate much by a consumer. But if they really become pure, you know, Amazon or somebody like that yeah. and trying to raise their share price and please their shareholders, anything is possible. And then, yeah, that, that I, is scary. like we saw with the, the intent to add that half a point, uh, you know, uh, fee, if you will, um, thankfully our industry kind of rose up and wrote like 80,000 letters or whatever it was to get that at least postponed, but who is our, you know, watching out for the consumer? Like you say, I mean, what's to prevent that from happening again? Yeah. And I won't get too nasty here, but the guy that's heading up FHFA, he's supposed to be watching the consumer. Yeah. That's the guy that's supposed (laughs) to be watching out for consumers. And then he does a middle of the night friggin' backdoor half a point hit with no lead time, no warning, no nothing. Yeah. And then the whole thing, and when, 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 in the whole March thing, when, 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 when lenders were on their knees with, with warehouse uh, issues and all that stuff, you know, all he had to do is just say, we're going to offer servicers some kind of a bailout if you take care of the borrowers. And he just was unwilling to do anything that was necessary at that time. Wow. Interesting. I don't know why he has a job. I really don't. You should have his job. (laughs) I I wouldn't want that job, man. Too much pressure. Um, All right. So, (laughs) Very interesting conversation, you know, um, the, the future of the mortgage industry and, uh, you know, when they stop, now again, I'm, I'm not as tied to the market as other folks, but look at, they're the largest purchaser of, mortgage, of mortgages, right? So what happens when that stops? 
the business would be on its knees. I mean, there, there, there's just no other capital out there. Look what happened to jumbo loans during that meltdown in February, March. They, they, they evaporated because there's no secondary market for jumbo loans. There is, but it's so sensitive um, in terms of investors buying those, those securities. And, you know, the, the pools of loans are made then they have to get rated by the rating agencies who are probably afraid to put any kind of rating on a pool of mortgages when the industry's you know, melting down. Uh, and then who's gonna buy those securities? Fannie, Mae, Fannie was the only game in town. I mean, we all would have been really in big trouble. Yeah, exactly. And so since we've been talking, I just kind of pulled up the history there and everything, just uh, the additional context. From I'm trying to approach this from a layman's standpoint, but yeah. basically what we're talking about is liquidity. Um, to be able to continue loan, loaning money is ultimately what you're talking about. And if we don't Absolutely. have that Fannie and Freddie liquidity, so mortgage companies could continue to make loans available because they don't want those on the books, right? Because I mean, back in the day, we had mortgage-backed securities, right? Remember how fun that was? <laughs> yeah. Well, and just a little bit of history. So when I worked for Bear Stearns, um, after you know being a bond trader, uh, I became uh, what was called an asset liability manager. And I worked with the major banks to help them balance their assets and liabilities. So in other words, if I have um, $100 million of mortgages at 5%, uh, but I'm paying my you know, income of 5 but I'm paying my depositors 10%, that's mm. not a very you know, yeah. sustainable. This is exactly what happened in the 80s. So, so, so they had these, these agencies had billions and billions of dollars of 5% mortgages and then 79, 80, 81, they're paying out what 17% on the T-bills. Right. So, so it, it was a disaster. Uh, I mean, for me, it was some of the best years of my life because we were buying those things, securitizing them and, mm. uh, uh, you know, make, creating liquidity for the banks that way. But the banks were selling those at huge discounts. They were selling a portfolio of a billion dollars of mortgages at maybe 50% discount because they were 5% in a 12% market. Yeah. So that's without that liquidity, it, it, it's a problem. And, and that's, so, sorry, my point is yeah. we don't want banks to go back and be only the primary lender because if they start taking in a bunch of three or 4% loans and rates do go up, the whole banking industry will collapse. Who does banks care about? Banks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Their profits. And of course, let's not forget um, that uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, Fannie and Freddie, um, are the ones that put the moratoriums on foreclosures and evictions, right, for that time period, which gave yep. people breathing room. Yep. So I think, yeah, we need somebody to be looking at. It's, it's funny because um, it's, it's like who's policing them, right? And it reminds me of this the documentary I mentioned to you a moment ago, which is um, The Social Dilemma, which for everybody listening, if you haven't watched it yet, please watch it. I know I posted it on my social, but Social Dilemma on Netflix. Anyway, the point being is you've got these algorithms, right, that are influencing the whole premise, you'll find this funny, the kind of the premise of the, of the documentary side, you know, what do we call this tangent here? But you audience, you'll love this. You'll love this. So the premise is you got basically 35 white guys that live in one state, you know, that all have these like Stanford degrees and they're all friggin', you know, math wizards and stuff. And they're influencing what two, two billion people do at scale. Right. And so the whole issue, the whole challenge is, is who's regulating these companies? Who's policing these companies of the influence they're having? And you got Zuckerberg saying, well, we just need more algorithms, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> more machine no. learning. 
Yeah. And I, yeah, exactly. And I've never really been a regulation guy, but after seeing this and similar to how we have regulations in the mortgage and financial sector for good reason, um, because yeah. if you don't rein that in, right, there's some bad kids who yeah. like to do some bad stuff, man. Yep. Agreed. hundred percent agreed. Yeah. So anyway. by the way, while you were doing research, I was too. Yeah. So Freddie Mac was formed in 1970. Mm -hmm. Fannie Mae was formed in 1938. And yeah. that was, as I recall, that was Dwight Eisenhower, um, because again, he saw a big problem coming out of the depression. You know, the, the banks didn't have liquidity post-depression to lend money. And, you know, guys coming home from fighting the war wanted to buy homes. Yes, exactly. Uh, so I, don't, I, I jumped on Investopedia. I'll put a link in the show notes. What the hell? If anybody wants to read some more stuff about mm -hmm. Fannie Freddie, because it's uh, really interesting. It even goes back into the 2008 financial crisis and the role they played in that good or bad in that uh, discussion. Um, but that's a whole nother discussion. Okay, so you are, I don't know how I, how I would give you, I'm trying to think of a name to give you, you know, the interest rate scientist, uh, I don't know, whatever it is, but you're pretty damn smart when it comes to rates, mortgage markets, stock markets. You're a guy who does a lot of trading, right? In the stock market yep. daily, yep. are you a day trader? Um, the real term is probably be swing trading. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our positions we're in for a few days. Uh, we don't, we're not in and out of them the same day. All options, which is like stocks, but it's a little yeah. bit different. And I, I say if you had to call me something, um, Dave, Dave calls me the mortgage coach uh, economist, which sounds really fancy, but I would say I'm more of a market analyst. I mean, that, that's what I consider myself. I study and I analyze. Yes. Um, how do you think or when... when to what degree do you think a mortgage professional, and I'll underline professional, and you and I know what we mean by that, um, meaning somebody who's not working in a call center, just a phone jockey, right? But somebody right. who's giving professional advice. Um, how important is that, you think, today to understand markets to be a professional? Well, so long-winded answer if it's okay. Yeah, please. So, when I founded RPM Mortgage, it was uh, 1989. And uh, rates were still around 11%. And I had just come off of Wall Street. And so I still had all this stuff in my brain and I could not not be looking at screens. And so it was very expensive, but I got something called a, uh, a Tellerate terminal. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have the internet. Traders we didn't have email. That. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had carbon paper. Right. Um, and so I, I had that in my office. And I... It just made me feel good to see what rates were doing, what the bond market was doing. And um, when I started recruiting loan officers, they saw it, you know, over there. And they, they, the fascination they had was kind of mind-blowing to me. And, and I didn't realize there was this sort of dark cloud around, not necessarily dark cloud, but, but uh, behind the curtains, most capital market guys. You know, mm -hmm. they're mysterious and, right. and a lot yeah. of loan officers, they're fascinated by that job. Yep. And so I began as part of my recruiting saying, I will teach you everything I know about the bond market. Mm -hmm. And we recruited some incredible, well, yeah, I think you probably know the success of RPM Mortgage, even today, yeah. they're, they're a very successful company. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with its roots. We ultimately took that, that Tellerate screen and we put it in the, the main office part of the lobby, not, not the lobby, but like the open office where all the cubes were. And when loan officers would meet the client in the lobby, they would walk them to their office and they'd go by the screen and they would say, let me show you 
what we look at so we can really advise you in terms of when is the right time to lock your loans. And I tried to teach them, don't try to sound smart. Don't try to use big words. Don't use jargon. You think that makes you sound smart. It makes you stupid. You, you, if, you, if you can't speak the same language as who you're speaking to, and, and mm. probably the people you're speaking to are, smart, are smarter or as smart as you, but they don't know that. So right. why would you talk about that? Mm-hmm. So, so we, we taught them how to speak real simply about, you know, the charts and bonds and how bond prices work. And I don't know how much the borrowers understood, but what's that saying, Jeff? It's uh, people won't necessarily remember what you said but they'll remember how you made them feel. Exactly. And I think that when they sat down with that loan officer and our guys always wore suit and ties, you know, it's pretty old Mm -hmm. school stuff. Mm -hmm. And they felt like they were really sitting with a financial advisor that really understood the markets. And what that really did, in my opinion, was uh, because it was always frustrating for a loan officer to tell a bar, I think you should lock your loan. And the bar is always like, oh, my my neighbor or my uncle Joe's cousin told me, you know, no, it's going to go down to whatever. Mm-hmm. Remember, we went through that terminal and we looked at that range and, 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 and we're crashing through that range rate. Oh, yeah. And so it's it, it, I think it really gave them credibility when it was time to lock. Mm. So so that's a long winded answer. Going way back then, we built the company around that, yeah. um, recruited around that our loan officers. Um, and, you know, you can see what, what Barry Habib has done. You know, about the time I was doing that with RPM, Barry was ahead of me. Um, you know, he was already on CNBC and he was a mortgage guy, you know, talking about the bond market all the time. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I feel like it's, it's really important um, for, for them to understand it. I'm glad you made that point. You made how you make them feel versus what you said, because what you want them to feel is confident, right? Number yep. one, in choosing you. Yeah, yep. confident that I'm making the right decision. And uh, to get into a little brain-based stuff here, and you know this well, is people uh, make decisions emotionally, but back them up with logic. Yep. You know? And so you're, you're covering both sides of the, of the fence there. Yep. And then also just um, in terms of uh, dripping on people, uh, dripping on real estate agents, dripping on, on, on borrowers, a quick screenshot of, of the chart, with a quick blurb on, hey, today durable orders came out. They were disappointing. We're seeing a nice bounce in rates. We should talk Monday about locking while we have this bounce. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's meaningful. That's not like, um, here's my aunt's cookie recipe in a newsletter, you know? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, people don't love that? Come on, man. <laughs> I like it. I like cookies. <laughs> I need another version of banana bread myself, you know? <laughs> incredibly high value. Hey, you know what's I'm funny? I'm thinking, did we ever cover the, the why you don't think rates will rise in 2021 like David Stearns Stevens does? No, we didn't actually finish that. All right, let's uh, finish that. You, you brought up that Fanny thing. and it, it Yeah, we went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> it came very thought-provoking. Yes. Um, so, so those are the two things that I think he's, he's right about. The, the agencies, if they do, standalone, they will probably raise the G fees, the guarantee fees that lenders pay. Okay. And then we already have this 50 basis points, but, but that's already a known thing. Um, where I think he really got it wrong is he talked about the Fed uh, not needing to continue to buy bonds. Um, ooh, I couldn't be more anymore wrong. In fact, just now before this call, I was looking right now, the Fed owns 18% and they're buying it like crazy of something called tips. These are treasury bills that are adjusted for inflation. 
Mm. They're buying them so fast that they're just controlling the market. And that's why bonds are trading so incredibly thin. I personally think that we're, we're I, I actually, one of my newsletters was titled Winter is Coming. And it was a knockoff from, from Game of Thrones, admittedly. And it had the picture <laughs> of one of the scary winter guys. Um, I probably get sued for that. But um, hopefully I'm too small. But so winter to me is a season of, of extreme deflation. Um, and there's, I don't understand where this comes from, but there's this belief out there that the, the debt that, that the Fed is creating and this huge deficit is inflationary. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. It's deflationary because let me ask you this. If, if you, I've been there where, where I had too much credit card debt, I didn't have enough money. Um, did I go out and spend a lot of money when I had all this credit card debt and car payments and, and, and income was, was not enough to pay my bills? No. That's deflationary in my home, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the government's at. The government has trillions of dollars of debt. They, they, they really can't afford to pay the debt based on the income they collect. The income is us taxpayers. So, so if you don't have enough income to pay your debt, where does this inflation come from? It, it's deflationary. It's always been deflationary. And I could show you charts, which are really interesting. The only two times that we had really, well, there's been more, but I'll say sustained periods of big inflation were uh, the 78, 79, 80 period. If you look at the chart and you see what was happening with the deficit, it was going down. The, the Fed was trying to balance the budget and they were, they, were not, they were not stimulating the economy. And that's when we got inflation. Uh, after World War II, uh, we were stimulating the economy. Sorry, we stopped stimulating the economy because there was a fear of too much growth mm-hmm. and we had inflation. So, so Inflation comes from from no stimulus, no growth, not growth in the deficit. It, it's it's sort of a backwards uh, belief. So, in my opinion, the deficit is going to get much much bigger. Um, and there's this really big, long philosophical discussion about something called MMT, uh, Modern Monetary Theory, which I I won't get into because it's super geeky. But the the basic premise is that doesn't matter how much the Fed stimulates the economy and how big the deficit gets, as long as that debt is going to growing the economy. As long as the economy is growing, we're building jobs, we're building infrastructure, then you make the deficit as big as you, you, you want. I wrote, I wrote an article about it with the full intent of talking about how foolish MMT was, like what kind of knucklehead would ever you think of this would work. And I prove that it probably does work mm. so 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 i don't see the deficit you went from as, from uh, saul to paul or whatever that conversion was yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so i i i think the fed is going to have to do a lot more because we are going into a deflationary period um and deflation is what killed japan i mean 20 20 years two decades they call it the lost decades for japan japan took their rates yeah. to zero did they have inflation no they still don't have inflation our, our birth rate's going down. Japan's birth rate's going down. We, we so closely uh, look like Japan did 20 years ago that um, I, I, th- I just think we're headed out, d- down the same road. And I'm not saying it's some dark, horrible thing. I'm just saying the Fed is probably going to have to push rates beyond zero. I, 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 beyond you know, zero? Yeah. Negative? Yeah. Really? That's what I think. That if, they, if they're so concerned about deflation, I don't see any other way around it. 
um, because they hmm. just can't create inflation. They yeah, but hold everything. on a second. So deflation, and, and this is, you know, much better than me. I'm reading the description definition here. Um, it's a reduction in money supply or credit, right? Um, well, that's, that's a component, but if you just look, look just from a, from a common folk way to look at deflation is, um, I have a mortgage and that's a fixed payment of say 2000 a month. And now society is deflating. So my paycheck goes from 4,000 to 3,500 mm -hmm. companies. Prices are going down. Wages go down. Everything goes down, but your debt stays the same. So all the reasons why we tell everyone go get a mortgage, because even no matter how hard that, how much, I was just talking to my daughter about it. She, Cause she kind of lives out in the country. We helped her buy a house. The payment was 1600 a month. She was like, I thought she was going to die. And we were taught, and this was five years ago and we were talking about, it, she was dad, I can't believe I thought this payment was high. And her income has not really changed that much. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, everything else inflated, but the mortgage stayed the same. So it goes uh -huh. the other way though. Your, your wages go down, but your mortgage stays the same. And so, so that, what you're saying is that makes a strong case for mortgage rates, buying houses, all that. Yeah. My mortgage rates have to, they just have to stay low. They're, they're going to, I think they're going to, even if the Fed doesn't keep buying bonds, there's a spread between mortgage rates and the 10-year bond or mortgage rates and the Fed funds rate. And that spread is historically maybe one and a half or we'll call it one to one and a half percent. That spread's been running closer to two. And the reason the spread is higher right now is that investors are afraid of the risk of buying mortgages because of what's going on in the underlying economy. So there's some risk price right now in mortgage rates. So I believe that you're going to see that spread and that's going to bring rates down all by itself. So, so I, I think really next year we, we should really see a very low two interest rate on 30 year fixed. Really? Wow. So the refis are going to continue. Which... I, I think that's why we started the processing company. We, we just don't see it stopping. Now we're... there's a caveat, Jess, yes. and that's, okay. um, the, in studying inflation as much as I have, the only real correlation I can see to inflation is the dollar is that if the dollar devalues too much, there is a correlation to inflation. If the economy gets really weak, Mm -hmm. You know, Trump's been pushing all along. Like, we need a weaker dollar. Our dollar's too strong. Mm -hmm. And in a way, that's really horrible to say. Like, that's like saying we need a weak in America. <laughs> but on the other hand, he's not wrong because if our dollar is really cheap, our stuff looks really cheap to all the other countries. Right. That, that's where the inflation come from. A flood of money coming in from other parts of the world. Ah, interesting. So you can see the dollar getting pushed down to help the economy, which in turn could create some inflation. So what could blow all this up? I mean, the stock market would, is the stock market over? It, it's, it's funny. I've been talking to too many people that are smart like you who, and so I pause on my question, like Logan Monashami from Housing Wire, shout out to him, <laughs> right? Um, what about the stock market being overvalued? Let's use that word. Is there such a thing as being overvalued? Yeah, it's horrible right now. It, 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 if, 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 there's so many ways to look at the stock market, but the, the mm -hmm. most simple is stocks trade on a multiple of a company's earnings. Mm -hmm. So if I earn a dollar a share and I have a um, uh, hundred shares, my uh, I'm earning a hundred dollars. So, so I'm earning a hundred dollars. I have a hundred shares. That's a dollar a share. That makes sense. I say that mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, Wall Street says, or the market says, well, you're growing really fast, so we're going to multiply that dollar a share, and that's how we're going to price your stock. So historically, the S&P has been trading at about 16 times earnings. Mm. Right now, it's trading at 21 times earnings. But it's not trading at 21 times now. It's trading at 20 times forecasted earnings for 2021. It is absolutely insane. If you, if you look at the earnings based on trailing the last year's uh, uh, um, uh, earnings, it, we're probably trading at 30, 35, 40 times earnings. You have um, companies like Apple trading yeah. at like 60, 70, 80 times earnings. Um, it's, it doesn't make any sense unless you believe the economy is just going to just explode from here and, and just go straight up. And I see, I see a lot of troubled water ahead in the economy. So I think mm. there's a major, a much bigger crash coming. And I think what keeps stopping that is these Robin Hood guys, all these Robin Hoodies, there's millions of them throwing millions of dollars. And every time the stock market goes down, the mantra is stocks never go down and they buy the dips. But what I'm watching in the underlying is the institutions, every time the market runs up, they quietly are selling. And that's why like today, the market was up, but something called market breadth was down meaning the volume was too low. There were too many stocks that fell versus stocks that went up. So there's all these signs the institutions are selling on these up days. And then the Robin Hoodies are buying on the down days. All the Robin Hoodies are doing is feeding these big institutions and then they're selling into those, the, the, those rises. So at some point, the, the, the Robin Hoodies are going to be crushed, I believe, and, and the institutions are just going to keep selling. And of so, course, remember, like bad news, you know, not just to use that term, but for the economy, bad news for the economy, uh, or typically a negative stock market is good for mortgage interest rates? Absolutely, 100%. Yep, that's the whole point. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that, yeah, that's probably my, one of my bigger concerns is, is the stock market. But my, so valuation is one part of it, but yeah. corporate debt is the bigger part of it. Mm-hmm. Corporate debt has never been higher. Mm-hmm. And what's happening now is um, if you look, Almost all the corporate, the vast majority of corporate debt is like B-rated or double B-rated. Think about subprime debt. These companies are so weak, but there's so much money out there flowing from the Fed. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, the Fed's creating all these problems. Um, <laughs> that, nice. that, that these companies are able to borrow money, and these are literally zombie companies. These, the, 20% of the companies on the Russell 2000 are zombie companies, meaning they don't make enough money to pay their debt. They don't make enough. They can't service their own debt with their with their wages. Nothing goes oh. to the shareholders. They survive every year by selling more bonds. So this thing just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's going to be way bigger than the mortgage subprime meltdown. It's going to be a corporate subprime meltdown. Oh, so we're going to see a lot of bankruptcies and stuff, insolvencies. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that that's that's what I think. Now, on the positive side, I think mm-hmm. this is what we try to tell our members all the time: opportunity to to, to build incredible wealth. Um, yeah, how so? This is where this is why I showed up today. How so? <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to keep your powder dry, you know. <laughs> if I'm wrong, and the stock market goes up another ten or twenty percent, you're gonna call me and yell at me. Okay. If I'm right and the stock market goes down eighty percent, I'd rather have you yell at me than than call me and say I wish I would have listened to you. There's a saying. I'm a, I'm a pilot, and and the saying is I'd rather be on the ground wishing I were flying. <laughs> than in the clouds wishing I were on the ground. <laughs> That's a I've good one. It, it enables technology, but it's not necessarily technology. Do you know what a coax cable is? 
you know, sure. you screw it into your cable. Yeah. Do you like screwing those things no, in? No, they're a pain in the ass. Aren't they the stupidest things in the world? Yeah. Why doesn't somebody make a connector for quax cables? A better you know, connector. Are... Yeah. Dude, that's a billion-dollar idea. Think you sell that to all the cable companies? That's what I think, too. Let's do it together. Let's do it, man. <laughs> the terrible I, connections. I, if you saw where I'm sitting, Dave, I have, I have this uh, – the, the capside thinks I'm crazy. I've got this, this pole that goes up about 30 feet in the air and with wires all over it, and it looks like a freaking space station because we need internet everywhere we go. And right. I'm putting these coax cables together, it, make, it makes me insane. I like that. That's a good one. All right. So that I love that. Let's close out on this one. Um, this will be a totally different feel. If you could send a message to the entire world, what would you say in 30 seconds or less? This is going to be really corny, but it's honestly where my heart is. Like, is it really worth killing people, fighting, anger, hatred? Is it solving anything? I mean, if we could just all try to sit down and understand the other person's point of view. It goes back to the first thing I said. Can we agree there's a difference between opinion and fact? Mm an opinion and not a fact you're going to open your mind to my opinion which are not facts because this world is scaring me i love it i love it and that deserves a yes Woo! Out of applause. <laughs> you're inspiring me dude i want to up my game on the podcast you look good you got the whole stuff hey, going on it's only five years in the making that's all all right dan listen Love the conversation here today. Really appreciate your insights. And uh, man, really just great to get to connect with you and know you. Thank you so much for making time. Yep. I had a lot of fun getting to know you as well. You're a great guy and uh, I'm just excited to watch your success. Same here, man. So once again, we're going to put uh, links in the show notes to all the stuff that we talked about, your newsletter, all that kind of jazz. Listeners, I hope you like this episode. It's a little something different coming at you, mixing it up. And uh, hey, I appreciate you tuning in. And uh, as always, if you like it, leave us a review. We'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Hey guys, what's up? Real quick, uh, you've heard about the Mortgage Marketing Pro membership before, and I just want to quickly remind you if that you're in a place in your business where you simply need more purchase loans, you need to fill your pipeline with purchase business, let's just face it, agents are still a solid pillar of business and sources of purchase business for you. Well, good news. Our Mortgage Marketing Pro membership helps loan officers like you close more loans without the hassle of chasing agents or cold calling. Done for you agent classes, expert training videos, a marketing automation platform that automates the entire process for you, everything you need to build your personal brand in your local market, attract and convert agents into referral partners, plus done for you proven marketing materials and plug and play content to make promoting your class, getting agents butts and seats, partnering with affiliates, real easy. But that's not all. You'll also get access to our weekly mastermind calls with top LOs, authors, speakers, and coaches to learn the best strategies to grow your business right now in today's market. And as an extra bonus for a limited time, for all new members, you'll get access to a database of 200 agents in your local market that have closed anywhere to, from 8 to 50 transactions in the last 12 months and we'll provide that list upload into our platform for you so you can get off to a fast start in reaching actually productive agents. So what are you waiting for? You can check out more at mortgagemarketing.pro, see more of the success stories there. And if you feel compelled to do so, book a call. We'll have a chat. We'll see if it's a fit. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your mortgage business to the next level right now. Head over to mortgagemarketing.pro.